Thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show. Boy, do we have a treat for you today. We have Jen and Stacy Conke on the show today, and we're going to be talking real estate. One of my favorite topics is going to be fascinating, fun, and enjoyable. Jen, Stacy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Absolute pleasure. This is going to be fun. I'm excited as well. Uh, why don't we start off with a, a description of who you guys are, what you do, and how you got there? Well, I'm Jen Conkey. And uh, I started in real estate back in 2002 while working in corporate America. My brother came over and he said, hey, go for a ride with me. And six hours after literally driving for dollars, he was talking about flipping for profits. And I was hooked. I wanted to know what that was about. And we just went back and like mapped out a strategy on how we could do it as a business together. And so I started my real estate journey with flipping, wholesaling and for 12 years, grinded it out while also trying to climb that corporate ladder, only to find out it was on the wrong wall, just like Stacy. <laughs> and uh, then I got into buy and holds and then eventually met Stacy. We were doing apartments, started off as joint ventures, and then really just segued into the syndication world. And along that journey, we decided to open an academy to teach people how to do exactly what we do. And uh, for two different reasons, um, for, for Stacy, I'll let her explain her reason. But for my reason, it was I was doing real estate for 12 years alone and I really craved community. And I thought if we could start something where we were teaching people how to do it and they could lean on one another, lean on us, it would it would help their journey. And they wouldn't have to go through much, much suffering, like not as much as I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. And Stacy, why don't you take it? With so, you know, for me, my timeline is, is very similar. I started, started in 2003. And for me, it was, I went to a Tony Robbins, you know, a, a Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within event. And, you know, naturally, like many other people, it just, it just turned my whole world upside down in the most perfect way. It just kind of set a, Jen says I, I was uh, like, my ladder was on the wrong, wrong wall. It just was, I, I wasn't meant to do what I was doing. I was in corporate America working on becoming a CFO of a public company. So I was just, I was grinding, going for it. I was super excited. And I went there and it was like, that's not what your life's about. It's not what you're meant to do. Uh, so anyway, this is 20 years ago, fast forward 20 years later, and we're, you know, doing what I meant to do, which is, well, I do real, we do real estate because it makes sense financially. It's fun. It's cool. It just, it's a logical way to make money and grow wealth. Um, but my, my passion is for, <laughs> my journey was very rough. <laughs> the education I got was very bad and I paid a lot of money for it and it missed like 90% of the, the details. So my motivation in, not just doing real estate, but then going back and showing other people how to do it the right way was to help people avoid the pain that I experienced as a new entrepreneur. Because frankly, I, I'm shocked when I look back and th that I didn't quit. I have, <laughs> I have every reason 3,700 times to quit and I didn't. Now I don't like, how did I not quit? And I just don't want other people to give up on their dreams or this great ability to build wealth because they don't know how to do it correctly and they make one mistake that wipes them out for 50 grand or 100 grand. Because most people would be like, okay, I'm all set with that. Anyway, but yeah, I, I mean, my journey's pretty much the same as Jen's as far as the progression of getting there. But multifamily is where we we focus now. We've done, most recently, we've done lots of fix and flips, but we stopped that about three or four years ago when we could see things have been good for too long. In, in my yeah, opinion. yeah. And so we just, we started just, you know, wrapping up our flips and just focusing on multifamily and then just growing our multifamily portfolio, you know, while we were working alongside our students and teaching them and now we do some deals with them, the ones who've been with us for longer. So it's been pretty cool. We're, we feel like we're pretty blessed to have the opportunity to, to impact people's lives in that way. 
Absolutely. Now I'm going to touch upon something here, right? Because there's a certain TV station also known as HGTV that made flipping sound so cool that everyone thinks they're going to be like the next, uh, you know, professional uh, home flipper that's going to be on HGTV. That's going to give like Tarek Al Musa his uh, run for his money. And, you know, I mean, the reality is that nobody sees that all the uh, downsides they go through and the losses that they've taken. Like you said, a lot of times people take that 50000 or $100,000 hit and it's usually on the first and second one. And exactly. that's because there's errors that they could have never predicted because they just don't have the experience in there. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if you come across people, but it's a, when, that uh, when they start off, they're always scared to work with somebody else. It's like, oh, well, I got to own this by myself as if they haven't learned that <laughs> right. growth comes through collaboration, not yes. individuality. Yes, that's so true. That is so true. Exactly. We subscribe to the same, oh. the same belief. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a team sport. Yeah. Especially multi, especially in multifamily. Yes. There's just so, there's so much to do, but you're right in all real estate. That's yeah. you're hundred percent right. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you said, you guys stopped once you realized that things are, were good for too long. Yeah. So now, which brought up that point, which is the next point. So you, you guys were able to, to uh, see that and you obviously saw some sort of shift. Like what were some of the signs that you've recognized that made you go, oh, wait a minute, we better think about this. Well, the interest rates being at an all time low was a big red flag for us. It was like, so well, there's only too. one way that it can go from here. And it's just a matter of time. And I, I think the, the biggest thing that stuck out for us is in 2008, when everything crashed, there were 3 million homes in inventory and that started to dwindle. So when you have inventory going down and interest rates going down and all of a sudden it was just like a frenzy and everybody was trying to get, well, they weren't trying to, they were getting really greedy and trying to figure out how to make deals pencil and they were doing bridge loans and really just going after those lower interest rates. And at some point that bubble, it, it's got to go back up. And what goes, what goes down must go up and what goes up must come down, right? It's a cycle. And we just had our ear to the ground the whole time. And we kept telling our students, don't get nuts. Don't go out there and do those things. Just hold, hold the line. Don't flip. Definitely don't flip. And when you're doing the multifamily underwriting, make sure you're, you're taking into consideration that the interest rates will eventually go up. Um, so that's, that's just us. And I think it's from experience and yeah. experiencing 2008 and saying, hmm, my, my spidey senses are just going off. There's just alarms everywhere. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And frankly, John, we thought, uh, we stopped our last flips. We, 2019. Yeah, we were wrapping them up in 2019. And we were all, already feeling like, ooh, we're we're pushing it. It'd been good for so long. We expected the the correction, the interest rate correction, we'll call it that, um, sooner. And I, I really think it's just a matter of, I think COVID just ended up creating this you know weird thing that delayed it. Because based on how long it had been that good, interest rates that long, it, it should have corrected sooner. So we had stopped sooner. And then we were like, okay, well, geez, like what the heck? Flipping is still great. But we were like, but any day it can change. And then COVID kind of kept things afloat for a little while. And then finally, yeah, well, last year. They were also printing money the whole yeah. time. So that, yeah. that elongates right. it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Which created inflation and at the same time yes. kind of led us to where we are today. Now, you yes. brought up a point with this whole COVID, whether you want to call it a pandemic or a plandemic or whatever way you want to look at it. It's uh, one of those things that uh, that gave us unintentional consequences and benefits at the same time. Now, here's what I mean. Like everyone's talking about artificial intelligence today and stuff like that. Like this stuff has been around since 1970. Like a lot of like we don't realize that it's been there because it's been in the background. Now, this is just the first 
first time that it's in the forefront where we can see it. And where I'm going with this is that now that uh, the assumption is that there's going to be a lot of job losses and stuff as a result. And I think that maybe there might be some job losses in the current atmosphere. It's just that there won't be a total job loss because it's just going to transform because somebody right. still has to enter everything into the program. Somebody still has to maintain the machines. Someone still has to, you know, make sure like, like over, uh, you know, overlook everything that's going on. So there's still a human component to this. It's just things that can be mass produced quicker. Now, now, obviously I wasn't going to go into the job section here. What I was trying to point out is I don't think that this, uh, the COVID thing changed the world as we know it. I think it brought the future in today. So what we would have seen in 10 to 15 years from now, we got to see today. That's what I firmly believe, because let's be honest, the whole office infrastructure was already dying. It was just dying at a very, very slow pace. When it's dying at a 0.1%, 0.2%, nobody notices that. Now, when mm -hmm. COVID hits and everyone get, learns to work from home, and all of a sudden, now there's a 50% death, well, people see that. Yeah. So, and that, and that, that ended the office uh, era. And I don't think offices will 100% disappear. I just think you're going to have more shared spaces, as an example, where you have uh, a group of people, like you'll have a company that are rented out and rent out individual desks. And I think there'll be little sections of the office that people will rent out. And I think that's going to be more uh, of what's going forward. Now, either way, I would not invest in that offices myself. That's just not my forte. I don't understand it. And I don't like the changes. So it's one of those things that I would just avoid it for that reason alone. But it doesn't mean that's wrong for everybody. So... Now, and it goes back to what you're saying, the whole flipping thing. The problem is that, yeah, you saw that COVID kept the interest rates lower. COVID, they printed money, which kept things going. And, and that could change at any day. But at the same time, nobody knew what was going to happen. Because it's not like you woke up one day and said, okay, it's 2019. Next year, we're going to have a pandemic that's going to shut the world down. So I better right. slow down now or I better speed up now. Nobody knows that. In fact, you know, like Evans, I think this stuff happens once every 100 years. So how, how would you ever know, right? So with that being said, this at the same time could have done the opposite and could have put the whole world into turmoil instead, but it didn't, right. but it could have, right? So yeah. we don't know what direction that, that was going to take. So mm -hmm. in, in a sense, you kind of, uh, you know, like hindsight is always easier. And I would much rather sell a year too early than to sell a year too late. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So going into the whole multifamily thing here, that you went into multifamily. Why multifamily versus single family uh, residential? Uh, so, you know, we, we've done both. We've done, and we even hold a, a few single family homes in our portfolio. Those are more for equity, but literally a few. There's only three. There's three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally a few. Um, but when we were, you know, when we went through the progression, we did single family home rentals, then we went to, you know, duplexes and started, you know, building larger, you know, larger and larger. I love single family homes for the for the equity component. However, you have to survive that equity component <laughs> in order to be able to recognize the equity component. And one of the things that I learned really early on, 2004 was a really big learning year for me, was things sometimes cash flow in theory and on paper in one way, <laughs> and they cash flow in reality in a, an entirely different way. And I didn't have the um, I didn't have the wisdom at that time to recognize that. So you know, I love the idea of a single family house because I'm like, oh, I cover the mortgage and I have I have some cash flow, and then it's going to gain in equity. But the reality is, you get one blip, one tiny little blip, and you are frequently like to negative cash flow. Um, you know, even over the course of a year. And 
for a lot of new investors, this was definitely true for me. I did not have a lot of capital when I started. And for new investors who are starting with, especially with just single family homes, because in their mindset, oh, it's safer because it's a smaller thing. If you don't have like a good chunk of capital available, you know, your tenant gets sick and can't pay rent or your, your tenant moves out or they just stop paying and you're covering those expenses, that can wipe out your bank account pretty quickly. So the the transformation came when I first started getting into even the smaller multifamily. I was like, oh, hold on a second. I didn't think of it as economies of scale. I, I look at apartments as economies of scale, but it was like, oh, this is a lot less risky. The property value is probably not going to shoot up. It's not going to shoot up. The two to four families just generally like slow and steady wins the race, but I have more rents coming in. So if I have a three unit building and somebody moves out, cool. I still have two tenants and they're paying rent. So the chance of me being negative is significantly lower. And so it allows for me, multifamily allows people to get in the game and stay in the game for the long term. Whereas single family, if you have a lot of money and it's just sitting there and you could keep covering the random things that break or in your tenant to move out, cool. But for a lot of people, they don't have that kind of capital just laying around waiting to be put back into the property. So to me, multifamily is less risky from a financial standpoint. You're not going to make the big money two to four family. Apartments are a totally different story. You can make tons of money in apartments uh, because of value add. But that's the big difference of single family is it's the one rent. It's super high risk. And when you have multiple rents coming in, that lowers the financial risk. And I think strategically from a business perspective, um, if you if you treat it like a stock portfolio and you have diversification, you know, so right now we have three single family homes and we have some triplexes, duplexes, quads. And we also have we have way more multifamily at a commercial five units and above level than we do the smaller. And um, because the smaller ones, they're valued at a residential level and based on comparable sales, that's different. If you get a few single family homes during times like this where the prices are going to dip and you pick up like one or two and then hold them for a long time, that's different. And then when it comes time and you sell them, now you've got an influx of cash to go get more larger multifamily properties. And I think that there's there's a cycle to doing that and you have to be super strategic with it. But if if anybody is out there buying single family homes and, and holding them right now, um, hold them for a long time. And then if they're cash flowing, you got to have enough, like Stacy said, enough reserves just in case something goes wrong. But I would I would argue that having more multifamily properties that cash flow and the economy of the scale are there when you have a single family that you are holding and renting out. If something goes wrong, you can rely on the cash flow from the multifamily portfolio to help offset some of those issues as you have this long hold until it cashes out. Um, so there's just like there's different levers to pull and different strategies to implement. And I just don't know that right now is I definitely know right now is not the time to be flipping. Um, but, you know, there might be room if you already have a, an established portfolio to pick up a couple single family homes here and there so that seven to 10 years from now, there's some equity there. But I would focus primarily on multifamily for sure. Apartments, five units and up right now. I absolutely agree with you in terms of the single family home. Um, I always my theory has been if you want to live in a house, buy your single family home and live in it. But if <laughs> right. you uh, if you're looking to invest because because the house you live in is not an investment, that's an expense. Right. Right. So if you want to invest, invest in multifamily or storage units. Um, I wasn't big into storage unit till this year, but I learned some stuff from this uh, this year and I didn't realize. Um, but regardless of that, the thing is that people look at the single family homes. They look at that uh, person living in there. They see, oh, my mortgage is twenty two hundred. The rent 
rent is $3,000. i am making $800. No thought into the fact that there's going to be expenses. And what ended up happening is to have a single family home properly run where you can cover any shortages or any pitfalls that may happen, you should have four to six months rent put in to begin with. And even then, the the income after the current expenses and all that, uh, you know, like that buffer that I'm talking about is only really $100 to $200, uh, you know, for that door. And that's assuming that uh, you can, you know, continuously collect rent. And mm-hmm. with that being said, right, so you got your buffer to give you four to six months. and you But, but all that money, four to six months put away, plus that all that capital tied up to earn $100 to $200 a door seems kind right. of uh, wasteful. Now, not that a multi-family uh, like a triplex or a uh, fourplex or anything like that is going to be much different, but the difference is you have more of a buffer. And if it's two hundred dollars a door, we'll even go in the middle and say one hundred and fifty as an example. That's still six hundred dollars a month for the same kind of property versus one hundred and fifty for one property. Right. And there's a lot bigger, bigger of a buffer there. So yeah, definitely, uh, it's it's the better route to go. Now, what I found interesting here is that you you got into triplexes and and duplexes and all that. Now, with the amount of homes you just told me you had, I imagine financing under you know when it be you know under five uh, <laughs> units was a little bit challenging. Uh, so the way that um, you know in in the world of of real estate or the world of multifamily, we have stabilized multifamily and value add multifamily, right? And stabilized, there's already renters in there. You pretty much go get a loan, you close on it and you you have it cash flowing. Where value add, two to four units, we would do like the, the Burr strategy where you buy it, renovate it, rent it out, and then refinance it. So, and then in multifamily, it's the same thing you have, or uh, apartments you have a stabilized and, and value add. But so in two to four units, the reason we never actually had an issue, but it can be an issue. So I'll just, for your listeners, give a little bit of background. I always liked the value add. I don't like doing them because I hate rehab, even though I'm not doing any, we do everything remotely. I hate rehab and I love rehab. It's like, it's the most torturous relationship I have with this thing. So, you know, when we buy something, we buy a fixer upper, we use a hard money lender. That's I've always used hard money lenders because I've always bought fixer uppers when it comes to two to four unit properties. And I, you know, I coordinate, I get the rehab done, you know, with our, licensed general contractor on site in the market with the property manager, with our home inspector. I have a whole team in place. Once the property is rented and done, we refinance it. Now, the reason we've been able to not really be restricted over the years as we've grown, because we refinanced it with hard money lenders. Hard money lenders will, you do sign personally for it. So you are you are the one responsible for it, but they lend to your LLC. So because I had heard, that's one thing I heard really early on, which was a gift is you're going to be really restricted because you can only get 10 10 mortgages. If you can even get that, you can only get 10 mortgages with conventional banks and then you can't get any more loans. Usually so it's five. Like, there's there's only oh, a, it's a handful that will okay. do uh, more than five. Yeah. So I, I knew early on that that was going to be a restrictive factor. And so as I was looking for, well, I don't want to just buy a couple. I want to do this as like a career. So that ended up leading me down the path of learning about hard money lenders. And because initially I thought of hard money lenders as, oh, they're just really expensive and they're just for short term. But as if you look at the the market cycles, you'll find that hard money lenders move into long-term buy and hold products when the market cools down because they don't have fix and flippers and they have to stay in business. So I have learned over time when I'm interviewing and calling around hard money lenders, we haven't done this in a while because we haven't, we don't focus on buying two to four family right now, but you know, but we have in the past, I would always ask the question, not just about what their initial loan terms were, but 
if I'm going to refinance with you and hold this long term, what kind of programs do you have? And Jen and I would always focus on the hard money lenders that had both the front end and the back end. And on the back end, if we were paying 12% for the rehab loan, we were not paying 12% for the holding loan. We might be paying 6%, even though 6% was higher than what you could get at a regular bank at the time. Now 6% is fantastic. But yeah. at the time, it might have been like four and a half. And we could get it for six. Um, that allowed, we don't have any mortgages other than our personal home. We don't have mortgages in our personal name. Mm -hmm. Everything, every single property we own that we have a mortgage on is in the name of an LLC. So we, we've never been restricted just because that was, uh, that was the strategy that we employed. And then you get to apartments, you know, nothing's on your personal credit. It's, it's all commercial. So it's all based on the, the LLC or the, the, uh, the debt is with the LLC, not with us personally. Right, right, right. And it's usually based on the performance of the building. A hundred percent. Exactly. Right. So I love that. Now it's interesting because now a lot of people out there may be afraid of uh, corporations and say, all oh, those are paying the ass. Is it necessary to go, go out there and have an LLC? I mean, I know the answer to this, but I'm being rhetorical, but I, I want to get your perspective. It's it's interesting because we get people will ask us this question. First of all, the answer is absolutely. But when we have people who are like brand new in real estate and they're like, okay, I got to get my website and I got to get my email. And I got to do all these things. And I'm like, you're, you're just delaying. You're delaying because you're afraid of getting started. And I get it because I was flipping terrified when I was new. I was straight up terrified. So do you need an LLC? You absolutely need to have an LLC to separate those real estate assets from your personal assets. But is that the very first thing you need to do before you actually get started in making phone calls and analyzing markets, analyzing deals? No, because getting an LLC started is not does not take a lot of time. It's a fairly quick process today. It didn't it wasn't quick 20 years ago, but it's very quick today, depending on which market you're in. Um, but the uh, the whole purpose of having the LLC is so that you can transact business and whatever happens within, and I know you know this, John, so I'm going to tell you for your listeners, but whatever is transacted within that LLC, if something happened and there was, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, a lawsuit in that LLC and like, and they actually like sued and won, they are only able to, um, to get the assets that are held within that LLC. So that becomes an entirely different strategy. Like how many properties do you put in an LLC and, you know, and how much equity do you allow to be at risk? And there's no one answer. It's based on, you know, personal risk tolerance, how many assets you have, you know, how big is the asset, you know, like an apartment building, you would only have one apartment building in one LLC, unless you were buying a portfolio, but with like duplexes, you might have a couple. Our attorneys would say, no, one LLC per, per property. And I'm like, yeah, I believed that when I was new. And then I had 5,000 LLCs and managing those was like, you know, stab myself in the eye with a fork. It was torturous. <laughs> so then I had to look at, you know, and Jen is between us, Jen is definitely like, she's the mind of the strategist. So she would look at, you know, okay, well, how much are we putting at risk and how many assets and how much equity have they grown over time? And do we need to make moves? Um, but the LLC is absolutely necessary. It might be a pain in the butt, but it's, the bigger pain in the butt would be to have a lawsuit on your property and lose everything you own as a result. That's a much bigger pain in the butt, in my opinion. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the other thing, right? I, I didn't even think of it in terms of the, uh, the, um, the risk factor. Um, when someone asks me that, my answer is always, well, that depends. You could do it in your personal name. But do you like paying 54% in tax? <laughs> and usually people go, well, no. Well, there's your reason to put it in the corporation. 
Yeah. And it usually ends at that, that statement. But the risk part is also a, a good point there. That's something I never even thought of. I, I didn't even think about it from the tax side because, because everything we do, we try to take advantage of every opportunity that's available for tax write-offs and things. So that wasn't even my main thing, but probably just because we've grown a portfolio over time and we've been doing it so long. And so things happen sometimes. Things do happen. Thankfully, we've not, we've been on the fortunate side of nothing major, but part of that is our preemptive we don't assume something bad's going to happen. We don't operate in that world. We don't assume it, but we're also not ignorant to the possibility that you sometimes you just, you don't know. Like somebody the other day, this poor little old lady, like lost control of her car and literally ran into our house, not the house we live in, but one of our, one of our single family rentals ran into it and knocked it off the foundation. And I was like, wow. Oh my God. Nobody was hurt. But what if somebody had been? And what if they, they sued the owner of that house? Well, the owner of the house, it's us, but it's not us. It's an LLC. And we, everything that we have built personally is separate. Everything we own is an LLC. So everything is completely separate. But I think that's something that people don't realize. It might not matter when you have one property, but if you have one property, plus you have personal assets, you just, you really need to protect yourself. I think people need to stop thinking short-term and start thinking long-term. You need to know, like, I, I, my personal opinion is that if you want to do something, you have to realize what's your end goal, or at least what's your current target end goal, because that usually moves. But when you start something, you always have a number in mind. Nobody just wakes up and says, I'm just going to start one, and I think that's all I'm going to do. Oh, I did one. Maybe I should do two now. You know, everyone has an idea of what they really want. So... Forget whether it's realistic or not. Think long-term. What if you get your dream? What what number would that be and where would it be? And then work your way backwards. So plan on that. And then if that requires to have multiple corporations, then you know. Now, my structure is that I have my holding company, which is Papaloni Capital Inc. And then um, what that has is then I do individual LLCs under that for each unit. And... In terms of the reason I didn't think of the, the security and I think of the accounting and all that, because I have a an accountant, lawyer, whatever, same building, same group, you know, that uh, <laughs> does all my stuff. So, uh, it, it, you know, it's just sort of I when I do something, I call him up and say, hey, um, this is what I want to do. And goes, this is what you need. This is what you need. This is what you need. Oh, OK, thank you. And then I have no idea why. And, it, you know, it's just because I have a working relationship with the person. And, and it goes back to what you're saying about the team which is fundamental, the people you work with is probably more important than what you actually want to do because the screw-up doesn't come in and w w with the product. The screw-up comes in with your actions and that's usually with the people you're involved with. So I think that's the four, core, your team is the core fundamental part to everything that determines your success or failure. And that's just my perspective and experience. And it doesn't mean it's like that for everybody, but because some people just get lucky and don't even know they're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth that's probably one of the worst things that can happen too yes it is is when someone has like a lot of success uh -huh. early on gives you a from sense luck. of confidence yeah yeah and, and then they start just, getting cavalier and, yes yep yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I love this so far. Like so far, this has been like, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from that, right? Because like we just described the structure of how it works and why flipping is not necessarily a good thing to do now. And it's, it's hard. It's hard for yeah. people when they're trying to sell a house. The buyers are the buyers are just struggling because they can't they can't buy with these high interest rates or they can't buy anything that they would a year ago expect or a year and a half ago been expecting to buy now that they can buy is like the shack and they don't want that yeah and so the, the people who are still with their fix and flips 
we have one of our multifamily students who had how many count? He had like a hundred, hundred and twenty something. Yeah, yeah. One of our uh, multifamily um, students, he was buying apartment stuff, but he'd been flipping. He flipped over a thousand houses, and he had one hundred and twenty. It last October, a year and a, a year and a month ago, when we had our live live event, and I was like, and I didn't, I wasn't even talking to him. I was, I didn't even mean him. I was just like, if you're flipping, you better stop because you're going to get creamed. Ask me how I, I was around in two thousand eight. I remember what it was like. And he was like, he didn't say anything, but he told us at our next event uh, one quarter later, he's like, I am so grateful you said that because I just was so in it that I just didn't, I didn't, and he wasn't around in 2008. He's like, so I just didn't recognize. And so when you said that, I stepped back and I started looking and realizing, whoa, things are taking longer. And he started like selling as much as he could and he couldn't sell all of it, but he's like, think, I just thank you for saying that because honestly, I might've been lining myself up for bankruptcy otherwise, but it, you scared me so much that I started moving things more quickly and thank God, because now I only have, you know, this small number of houses that I haven't been able to sell, but I would have had a hundred. We're like, oh, mm. but it's like, not that flipping is, is bad. We do flip, but just, you gotta do no it at the time that makes sense. Yeah. Poker. It's like a poker hand. You gotta know when to hold them and no one to fold them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No one to walk away. yeah. And no one to run. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever count your money. When there we go. Love that. <laughs> Jen used to be a professional poker player. So, you know, we like, we like to sing that song. You have to have outs, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. All right. That's it. Let's end the podcast. Let's play poker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Awesome. I, I got a, um, uh, I, I got a full house. Shh. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, here, one last tip on uh, on uh, flipping. See, the thing is, if somebody wants to flip, the real secret here is, and I think this is the one thing people forget, you don't buy a house to flip when all everything you have is on the line. When you consider a flip, you have to be able to consider the fact that you might need to hold on to it and continuously make those payments. So yeah. if you're able to acquire a property for a flip, do your renovation or rehab, whichever way you want to call it. And then if you can't get it on the market and sell at a profitable number, then you might have to hold on to it for the next five to 10 years and have it rented out. If you can maintain that and you can fund that, then having that go at flipping is perfectly fine because your backup plan is you can actually afford it. But if you're putting everything, all your eggs on the basket and you need out, then that's not something you should be doing. And I, to be honest, I think maybe that advice might apply to any market. It does. It also, I think, uh, remember when we were talking to Battelle? Mm -hmm. So we had um, someone that we had trained to do fix and flips this was, I don't know, like four or five years ago. And so she was, you know, we were training her. She was doing fix and flips, but she had a really successful Airbnb business in San Diego, which is where we lived at the time, for like 45 units and COVID hit. And you can imagine what, I mean, it literally decimated her business like overnight. And then, and then it became illegal. So like there was, poor thing was like struggling. So when she came in, it's like a teach me multifamily. Cause I don't want to get stuck in this again. She went back to her model of, well, I know Airbnb. So she ended up finding a nine unit. It was actually a motel and she wanted to do it as Airbnb. We were still in COVID cause she closed in what August mm -hmm. of 2020. And so the main thing that when Jen and I were meeting with her, we were like, okay, from a strategic standpoint, we don't know how long COVID's going to go. San Diego was like completely shut down. The property was in Florida, which Florida was more 
more open. Yeah. Said, but we, we just don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know if there's going to be like new strains and all the things. So I know, you know, the Airbnb model. And if you build it out with that in mind, that's okay. But underwrite it also just the way you exactly what you just said, John, exactly what you just said. Make sure that if you just have to rent it to regular people who are going to be in there for, you know, six to 12 months, that the numbers that it still at least pays for itself until the market is ready for the Airbnb model again. And that's, I feel like it's the exact same thing right now. Airbnb is super popular and it's very profitable, but when things slow down, like Jen talks all about discretionary spending kicks in. Yeah. Yep. And that's what people give up, you know, earlier on is like vacations and things where Airbnb can, can become a struggle. So anyway, I, I've, I've learned that because it's super current and sexy, a lot of people are like, oh, short-term rentals, that's cool. Just protect yourself, right? Protect your downside <laughs> um, by making sure that if you did have to turn it into a long-term rental, it, it still works. And that way you have, now you have an asset that you could use when the, the economy is fantastic and when the economy is not fantastic. Because even, no matter what the economy is, people need to have a place to live. We don't invest in office space either, John. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but my comfort, I'm very conservative after 2008. What I know from 2008 is no matter what, people had to live somewhere. If they couldn't afford a single family home, they're moving into an apartment. So apartments, that's why I probably have the biggest comfort level because no matter what, they have to have a roof over them, their heads. They don't have to have an office. They don't have to have storage space, although we do love self-storage. Mm -hmm. We're buying an apartment building right now that has 20 storage units, like like storage units as if it was like a storage place on site. And so it makes the cash flow great. Um, but anyway, just, for all the entrepreneurs out there, you know, from every business that you run, you got to look at the, all the upside, but also what's the downside and try to mitigate that so that you can ride through no matter what the economy is, is doing. Absolutely. Now I want to get into the, uh, academy thing, but before I do that, what I want to touch upon here is the, um, current market. Now, I mean, you guys are heavy investors and a lot of people that I come across, you know, and even on my end is, uh, they're afraid. They're afraid to invest. A lot of investors are pulling back. In fact, I'm in Ontario, Canada, and 42% of the listing are investors trying to dump the rental units. And it's wow. one of those things that now, in all honesty, for Ontario, I think they're very wise. Um, clearly, I live in Ontario, but I'm not a fan of it. And I'm not, um, and I don't mean that as a knock as a, as a province or a city or any of that. It's more of the fact that uh, we have what, I, like most people have what I call the landlord and tenant board. We have what I call the tenant board. And um, all the rights are for renters. The landlord have no rights whatsoever. And up until about six months ago, they were at uh, about an 18 month backlog. And imagine someone's not paying you and it takes you 18 months just to get into the landlord and tenant. 18 months. So 18 months of no rent. Oh. And... And Gosh. I'll give you an example. If you serve, if the if their rent date is on the first, and you serve them on the second, it's eighteen months to get into the landlord and tenant board. And because it's one day wrong, you have to start all over. You have to make sure the date is exact and that it's done the exact way. Any mistake, wrong wrong letter, like if your name is Smith and you and you and you type in Smith, it's not the right person. It doesn't count. And it's just. You, even though it's the same person, same address, same everything else, one little thing that's off, one missing comment period, it's garbage. So with that, there's been so much turmoil for landlords yeah. that um, I don't believe Ontario's worth investing into stuff like that. 
And that's we just feel my, that way about California. Yeah, absolutely. And New York. Absolutely. Similar issues. Right, which is why I like landlord-friendly areas. Now, that, notice I didn't eliminate all of Canada. I just eliminated Ontario. Ontario, yeah. Right, because uh, we have Alberta, which is very landlord-friendly. Okay. Now, Alberta is, there's quite a shift in there. So, I mean, anybody watching this, don't just jump to Alberta and then say, hey, he said it was great, and I lost 100 grand. Yeah, <laughs> Alberta is very volatile. So, if you, it goes back to what I said earlier, if you can buy something, hold on to it, and just sell when you feel that it's right for you, then that's fine. If you're relying on a certain period of time, then it's not for you. This is volatile. There's one minute that Alberta's prices will double, then it'll come shrinking back down. So you really got to know the market and really pay attention to it. But yeah. there is opportunity there. And going forward, I think the futuristically, I think things are changing. There's a shift going on there. And I think that shift is going to stabilize it better in terms of real estate perspective. So with that being said, I don't like Ontario for that reason. So that's the common trend. Now I had people who wanted to invest with me prior to me setting up my corporation and stuff. I mean, they literally showed up. I, I took a six week contract with uh, one of our government agencies and I was working there. And then um, I was talking to people there and they showed up with a hundred thousand dollar check written to the corporation. I haven't even set up yet. And <laughs> you know, I'm like sitting there going, it doesn't really work this way, <laughs> but uh <laughs> My point is those same people now is like, whoa, it's bad. I want to hold, right? So there's a lot of fear out there. So what is your perspective on today's market and what would your advice be? Oh my God, today's market is awesome. Um, <laughs> it is full of opportunity. I, I feel like, especially in the States here, there are three states in the US where the, the market is really good. It's a hot market. It has been, they're very solid. Um, like in Phoenix, Arizona, you have Florida, you have areas of Texas that are just really good markets. And because they've been good markets, that's where everybody had to get the bridge loan debt and do all the things where they were getting lower interest rates. And now those interest rates keep coming up because it's floating rate. And these guys are facing a huge foreclosure wall. There are 2,500 multifamily properties facing foreclosure in the U.S., in probably quarter one and quarter two of 2024. So for us, this is the first time in maybe ever where you can get in on a great market yeah. that is a property that is in distress because of the financing, not because of the market. And to me, that's just like, wow, um, get ready. There's no, and, and, and literally gonna lean in harder while everybody else is you know retracting and in fear. It's just like what Warren Buffett says. You know, we, we told everybody, hey, be, be a little leery right now because everybody's really greedy, but now everybody's afraid. So go buy, um, but buy in these specific markets. Like we have a list that we'll generate for our students and tell them, you know, we and we can literally say none of our students in our academy are facing any type of foreclosure because we've been telling them about this since 2020. And now they are ready. They are primed. And the markets that we're going to be going into, it's it's incredible. It's incredible opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Now. Which brings up the other point, because a lot of people hearing or watching are going to say, hey, you just said there's a lot of foreclosures. So how, you know, why is it a good time to buy if there's foreclosure? If they can't make money, how are you sure that you will make money? Where's the magic key formula there? If you if you think about like why why someone can't make or wasn't making money went into foreclosure, there's two different there's two different possibilities. Someone didn't run the property well, so they didn't create enough cash flow. And so they just they were inept as an operator and they lost it. That's not what that's not that's not what's going to be causing the foreclosures this time around. It's because when so when Jen was talking about bridge debt, floating rate debt, 
So when people are buying in Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix is like, it's it was such a hot market. The only way you could get a deal is if you were going to overpay for it, right? That's just, that's what was going on for years. And the only way you could make the numbers still pencil by overpaying for it is to get a 3% interest rate, but it was 3% variable rate. And so as soon as, you know, a year and a half ago when interest rates started going up and up and up, nobody expected them to go up this high, this fast. So, I mean, we, we don't have the presentation ready, but we've done a presentation before just showing even if an operator improved the net operating income by 30%, like they crushed it. They did the most amazing job ever because they got caught without record. We just, we have the, the four, we have the benefit of wisdom from 2008. Most of the other people that are multifamily right now, we're not around then. So they don't, they didn't realize how fast it can shift. And unfortunately, they're in a variable rate debt situation while they might be doing so good with the property. But now the interest rate literally is just going up and up and up and up and up. And now they're at negative cash flow, even if they did great. So the big difference, John, is like, why is there opportunity now? And I all the, the markets that Jen talked about, I also, I like the Midwest markets for just cash flow. You're not, not going to see a lot of appreciation, but we like those for, for cash flow also. When you underwrite a deal, or for people, if they don't know what underwrite means, like when you do a financial analysis on a deal, you're analyzing a deal is how much you can pay for it. You are going to take into account how much interest rates are right now. One of the big shifts, like we're right in the process of doing a 48 unit right now and a 13 unit. And, and we just did a 96 unit. All of the projects that we're doing are fixed rate debt. We will not do, and we've not taken anything that was variable rate debt in a really long time because we expected this shift a long time ago. But the the way that things can work where they aren't working for the people who are losing to foreclosure is by finding financing that you're going to have a fixed rate with. We will not do anything that's less than five years. And our preference is seven to 10 as far as how long the rate is fixed. That that and property values have decreased by 40%. It, yeah. That is why it's an opportunity. Yes. Because the properties that are holding are 40% less. The value is 40% less right now, plus what Stacey's saying. So it's like this perfect storm yeah. where these two opportunities are just coming together. And it's unfortunate for those operators because who in the world would have thought that interest rates would have went from 3% to 6.5% and that was their cap. And it's a good thing they bought that rate cap, but now it's going to expire yeah. next quarter. And when it expires, Brutal. it's going to be out of control. So th that's why I didn't mean to cut yeah, you off, but it's, it's literally because values went down by 40% and there's this other opportunity where if you come in and you can get the fixed rate financing, that's where the opportunity is. And also in the Midwest, we love the Midwest. Your, your money oh will gosh. go way further yeah. in the Midwest for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which goes back to when your realtor says it's always a good time to buy or sell, realize that's not always true. <laughs> right. That's right? what like, your strategy is. <laughs> right? See, like right now, like today, we're in November 30th of 2023, and today is a horrible time to sell, unless you have to. Right. If you have to, that's a different story. Like if you're moving, you're getting relocated for work, you don't give up your job because God forbid I got to sell my house, right? Especially if it's a decent job. So but where I'm going with this. So now, obviously, unless you have to relocate, divorce, or whatever it is that's forcing you to sell, now is a terrible time to sell. I would actually tell somebody, if you can wait, wait till at least spring, and spring being March of 2024, if you can wait. If you can't, and now, prime example, if you're going to start making and missing mortgage payments to hold off, 
then forget it. Save your credit because you're going to screw yourself later over over saving small uh, a few amount of a percentage of dollars. You know what I mean? Like save your credit because that'll do you uh, better. But regardless of that, so you know, I mean, and there's not always the best time to buy or sell. When uh, in 2021, when the interest rates were at peak and homes were going for two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars over asking, that was a terrible time to buy. At least at that rate. So where I'm going with this wasn't to be over overly critical of people because people did what they had to do at the time. My point I'm getting at is here is that real estate really comes down to the same thing, regardless of the market you're in, is you need to know your numbers and the numbers have to work regardless of the market. That's absolutely true. So love that. Now, getting into the whole academy thing that you guys, uh, you know, you're teaching this stuff. Why? You're at this point in time that uh, you can just keep building your investments, keep building your portfolio. I mean, and do what everybody thinks realtors do, which is go on the beach, sip margaritas while they're living off of other people's money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, we really, it's because what I wanted was to create a community. Um, What's developed and why we really love it is that, you know, people are in our academy, they stay year after year. So we have students that are in year three, we watch them for the first two years, we watch them implement our system. We watch to see, are they taking shortcuts or are they following through? We watch to see how they conduct themselves in business. When they stub their toe, how do they handle it? When they make a mistake, how do they handle it? Are they coachable? Are they open to feedback? How do they work with others? We watch the whole thing, right? Are they cavalier? Are they being maverick or are they being you know, conservative and making sure that they're underwriting properly. So once we watch those students for those first two years, we will literally, if they are really good, we bring them into our acquisitions team. So that's how we cheat because now we have people that we have literally trained. It's like a farming system that bring us deals. Then we help raise capital for those deals. And then we help with those deals and it just grows our skyline more. So it's a way that we were able to leverage our time so that we can continue investing, but with them. And it's really cool because we watch their growth the whole time. So it's rewarding at the same time. Um, That's the primary reason why we we're addicted to it. And plus we get to do these events once every three months uh, It's WowCon, and we have everybody come and it's a networking opportunity for people in the Academy or outside the Academy. And we live for these events. Like it's so fun fun. to network. They're either (laughs) active investors that are enrolling into the Academy or they're passive investors that want to invest into our deals. So it's, it's our favorite thing. Um, but to answer you, the short of it is that we, we cheat and we we literally develop and groom people into acquisitions managers and asset managers and capital raisers. Um, that's why. For, for me, I don't know if you have a different reason. Yeah. Well, I, sure. I, that, I mean, that's definitely been a benefit. That wasn't my reason. My reason was just I'm just passionate about making people push people don't quit on their dreams. That was my driving force. Um, you know, Jen had this vision a long time ago of creating this army of 300 because she calls it the 300 like the spartans right the spartan 300 where uh, we have 100 teams of three where there's an acquisition manager a capital raiser and an asset manager and each of those teams are acquiring let's say two apartment buildings a a year and uh, that's 200 deals yeah it's so she really had this like amazing vision and it's just and now it's happening we're have we're in our 96 unit those are our i say students just because it's an academy say students they're not they are students. They're not students anymore. They're at this point, they're like their colleagues, but they learned how to do it our way. And our way is 20 years of wisdom behind it. All of the systems and the processes that we put into place to keep them safe. Now they've been doing it. And so, and we've been watching them. And so now we get to, you know, leverage 
the relationships they built that we taught them how to build that we get to bring help bring them to the next level while we have more deal flow than we would otherwise have. We have four kids. So like time is not the easiest thing for us. So it's just a great win. And then the 48 unit we're doing with, um, you know, members of our community, the 13 unit with the storage units we're doing with it. We bought a quad last year with it. So it's just, it's allowed us to continue to expand, but also feed into their lives while we build a skyline, build a skyline together. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. We have, a, we have amazing people in our community. They just, everyone wants to lift each other up. There's so many partnerships that happen. Um, it's the people who are like, no, I got to do a deal on my own. It always takes them forever to do a deal <laughs> because they don't realize how much there is to it. And when they finally are like, let me go ahead and partner up, everybody moves forward faster together. And it's it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My experience is I found that everyone who says, I want to do something by myself, there's no way I'm going to partner with people, blah, 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 blah. Nine out of 10 times, uh, nine out of 10 people, when you talk to them five year, years later, are still waiting to see. Um, one out of 10 acted and out of the one out of the 10, 50% out of that one out of 10 that did it, have uh, made major mistakes and 50%, well, it happened to work for them. So it's very small numbers of trying to do everything by yourself. Totally. It's really, you know, in, in any form of business, real estate or not, I think the who is more important than the how. And yes, I realize there's a book that's out there that says that, but <laughs> I'm listening to it right now. It's so good. Yeah. 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 So that's awesome. Um, I want to touch upon something where you were talking about Phoenix and maybe my research has been off. I mean, cause I'm a, I'm a fan of Florida. I mean, I go there four times a year. That's pretty obvious. Um, uh, I'm a fan of Texas. Um, and Phoenix, I heard was good as well, but the thing is I heard it's volatile where, where it's again, Timing in Phoenix is most important. That's what I heard. I don't know what's true. I don't live there. Yeah. I used to, I've lived there twice, actually, twice throughout my life. And um, in the 90s, when I first moved there, it was doing exactly what it's been doing for the past five years. It was just growing and expanding and getting out of control. Um, what I like most about Phoenix is the fact that you mentioned AI at the beginning of this episode. There is a semiconductor plant that's going in there that's bringing uh, so many jobs. It's obscene. And so that get, getting in there before that is established and put out there with all of those jobs, once it starts to appreciate and not necessarily gentrify because it's a great, it's already a great um, market. But once it starts to continue to go up and all those jobs are attracting people and it starts to grow, I, I think we're going to see a lot of upside there. So I just like the employment mix there. I like the future. There's AI going in the semiconductor. Phoenix has always been known for semiconductor plants. So you've got Honeywell there. You've got all kinds of things that are happening since the 90s. And now with AI coming in, it's just it's kind of like the Silicon Valley, Valley of Arizona. And when you think about those terms and all the money that's coming there, there's just for the next four to seven years, I feel like there's a lot of potential there. There we go. For anybody watching or listening, this is another reason why collaboration is important. If you want to leave and invest in a place that you don't live in, it is always best to collaborate with somebody who knows the area because it's very easy. Just as I was intrigued by Phoenix and based on this, I probably would have been right to go there, but there was a good chance that I could have been very wrong. And I'd be really rolling the dice like I am at the casinos because I don't live there. I've never been there. I've never seen it. And I'm going by rumors. But there's a lot of rumors out there that say something about somebody and you find out it's not even the truth. So the rumors about real estate could be true as well or false. So it's always important to collaborate and deal with people who locally who know what's going on. Absolutely. So what I, I'm going to get down to a last couple of questions and go into what I call the lightning round. And my 
second last question is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day? <laughs> oh, that's, a that's a good question. one. How I feel at the end of it. Yeah. If I feel like, you know, I was in a peak flow and I was just making things happen and I, I feel joyous or I enjoyed the day. If I had a lot of laughter, um, I just define sex and uh, sex success. Wow. In terms of, <laughs> it's not that kind of show. <laughs> in terms of emotion, in terms of emotion and how I feel. Um, and I know this, like the higher, the better I feel, the higher my, my vibration is. And I can stay in that peak state of flow and just, um, be a magnet versus a force. All right. So we know today's a successful day because we've been laughing throughout the whole podcast. <laughs> True. <Absolutely. laughs> awesome. How about you, Stacy? Um, you know, I think because one of my most motivating factors in life is, uh, lifting and encouraging people up. I, I happen to know real estate really well, so that's the area I get to do it within. But uh, if I've had an opportunity to impact somebody's life, like one of our students, or it's not so much the business stuff, I because the business stuff is just like, well, yeah, that's what you do to make money. But the stuff that like drives my soul is when one of my students get you know gets a deal, or they they have a hard conversation that we coach them through or, um, oh my. <laughs> or they have, you know, they have something that, that they're really excited about because we were able to speak into their lives and lift them up and encourage them. That to me, when I have multiple opportunities to see that in a day, as opposed to just, we're like, we're just doing business all day, which I love business too. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it's super fun. But when I get to impact someone's life, my soul feels happy. And so if my soul is happy, then at the end of the day, I'm like, it was a great day. Even if it was a great day for a business, if it was, if it didn't have a component of that, it's not as, it's not as rewarding. So I, I just, I think we just live in both worlds. Like we just, we want to make a huge difference in the world in whatever ways that we can. And we want to make money because then it allows us to make a difference in the world again. So yeah, absolutely. Last question before we go to the lightning round, it's going to kind of be a two-part question which is going to be for anybody who's interested in reaching out to you, where would they go? And when is your next event and how do people enroll? Okay. So um, I'll, I'll hit the event one first because that's the website's a little bit easier and then I'll, I'll give a, a source, a resource for getting more information. Um, so our events are once a quarter. Our next one is February 2nd through 4th. It's in Orlando, Florida. So for those of you who are in snowy areas, it's going to be a great time of year to, <laughs> to be able to get away, come to Florida. Um, and that uh, website, to, what's that? Put me down for one. I'm on my way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, the, the website for that every quarter we do the same website. It's, it's WowCon. So it stands for warriors of wealth. That's how we identify. We are here to build wealth and we are warriors. Cause you, it takes, it takes a fighting spirit sometimes to do this. Um, so it's WowCon, W-O-W-C-O-N.com. And you can go there and talks all about the event, the schedule and all the amazing parts of it. And you can register. Um, and we have, I think we have early bird special for a couple of weeks. We do or, until December, December 20th. 20th and it includes, and it's including a plus one. So it's a discounted ticket and a plus one. Uh, we have some bigger space this time. So we're able to, be able to bring on more people. So we're excited about that. Um, and if, if someone's just interested in learning about just trying to get educated about multifamily in general, whether they want to do it passively or actively, we created a page where it's just, it's a bunch of our like little classes that we've done. We call them master classes on different subjects within multifamily real estate. Um, and that one, I don't know how easy it is to say it, but it's, it's R M F I A resources.com forward slash podcasts. So I'll, I'll send it to you, John. And I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's R M F I A, which is remote multifamily investing Academy, but R M F I A resources 
com forward slash podcasts and you go there and you put in your information and then the next page has I say it's like seven or eight yeah. of our classes and we in just order yeah, yeah. kind of in an order that it, that it makes sense and flows so that people can just start to to learn more and have a better understanding and that sometimes will help guide them as to like what is it that you actually want to do so anyway we're just we're big on education and so we offer that that for free absolutely it's good stuff it is a long url Maybe I we should do yeah. something. Else maybe a maybe a bitly, huh? Yeah, maybe a <laughs> bitly link for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. It's funny though, but I mean, hey, you know what? Once you can remember the RMFIA, the rest of it is kind of just flows. <laughs> right, it's the RMFIA is a little a little awkward. It's totally natural for us, but you know, it's like our mafia. Oh yeah. That's uh, that's like, but there's a, no a in the mafia. It's just R mafia, you know. Yeah, yeah, R M R mafia. Yeah, that's awesome, 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 awesome. All right, let's get into the lightning round, which is going to be question number one. Is going to be what is your favorite food and why? <laughs> sushi, because it's magnificent. It melts in your mouth. Specifically, sashimi. I just like salmon and I like tuna and I, it, I will even do unagi. Like that, that's just my favorite. That's my favorite food. And I don't get it enough. Makes me feel like I need to go get some. <laughs> all right. Pizza. Uh, uh, all right. All right. So uh, when I come down for the conference, so we'll, we'll go for lunch. Two, two different lunches. One sushi, one pizza. That sounds amazing. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Favorite travel destination and why? For me, it would probably be Puerto Vallarta. Same. Yeah, because we just have a magical time. time there. Yeah. Um, I really love it. Yeah, Puerto Vallarta for me. Same. I love amazing. it. Amazing. Amazing. Sounds good. I've, I've heard good things about it as well. Awesome. Next question is going to be favorite podcast and or book. Ooh, I don't really watch a lot of podcasts, but I love the Ed Milet show. Yeah. We, yeah. We, yeah, we watch it. It is a podcast. You just, just, podcast? We just watch oh, it on okay. YouTube. I watch it on it YouTube, is a, yeah. Yeah. Love, I love the Ed Milet yeah. show. Um, what's your favorite book? Because I have a million. Yeah, them. Jen has 5,000 books that are probably her favorite. Um, you know what? Uh, not not Think and Grow Rich. It's the, it's the other one. The How to Win Friends and Influence People Dale by Dale Carnegie. Because yeah, yeah. for years, I... Um, I was like, oh, that's, I was so turned off by the name. I'm like, I know how to make friends. Like how embarrassing. I don't need a book about how to make friends. And then a mentor of mine was like, it's not about how to make friends. <laughs> it's, and I read that and it really transformed the way that I interact with people and build relationships. And it just, it was a life-changing book for me. Yeah. For me, I'd have to say that it is Leadership from the Inside Out by Kevin Cashman. I love that Ooh. book. Um, it really makes you go in and it's a workbook, right? So you have to answer the questions and kind of do that inner work. Uh, I really think it's a, it's an amazing book. It changed my life back in the nineties. Amazing. Love that. All right. We're going to go to the last, but not least is going to be, if you were given unlimited amount of money and 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep what you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? I would so go buy every apartment building I could find in 48 hours. We're so boring. Offer them cash. And I would, yes, that's exactly. I would totally. find every apartment building I could possibly find and offer cash within 48 hours. I would deploy every single acquisitions manager we have in the academy yep. and just build the skyline for 47 hours. <laughs> and then there spend the last hour celebrating. There we go. There we go. I'm in for the celebration. <laughs> and sushi. That's and amazing. sushi. And sushi, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. This has been remarkable. I mean, honestly, I could have probably talked here for like five hours, but <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> 
Yeah, this has been amazing. And um, yeah, I'm going to see if I can actually make it to your event. I'm going to look up and see my schedule because if I can make it, I think it's going to be worthwhile even for myself. Absolutely. You will absolutely love it. It's it's transformational and life-changing in ways that people can't fathom because they hear multifamily. Yeah. But it's just so much more than that. We do an entire mindset approach. So that's, the yeah, third day of why. the event is just focused on shifting you into the identity of a multifamily investor. And uh, we do some pretty incredible, yeah. incredible things. You'll be probably breaking a one inch board when you come. Yeah. Which is amazing. Looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Ladies, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you thank for, you having, for having, us having us, John. Absolute pleasure. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show.